Welcome to episode number 210 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. CXO Talk brings together the most innovative people in the world who are doing just the most fascinating things. And we talk about leadership. We talk about the impact of technology. Before we begin, I want to say a thank you to Livestream, which is a company that provides our video infrastructure and they allow simultaneous streaming to Facebook and email capture and Livestream makes CXO Talk possible. So thank you to Livestream. We just, we love you guys. You guys provide a great product and a great service. Today's show is really interesting. We're going to be talking about the impact of technologies such as virtual reality, augmented reality, and we're speaking with Mike Matthews, who is the chief information officer at Oral Roberts University. And we actually are going to do some technology demos today. Mike Matthews, thanks, thanks for being here. Hey, Michael, thank you for having me. What a delight to join you from Tulsa, Oklahoma, on the wonderful campus of Oral Roberts University at our new Global Learning Center facility. Well, I'm so excited. Mike, let's tell us about, tell us briefly about Oral Roberts University and just set the stage and give us context for what we're going to be seeing today. Absolutely. Hey, so Oral Roberts University is celebrating its 50th year. And we are more known internationally. So we draw students from 95 different countries from around the world. We have 100 different programs. We have six colleges within the university. And we believe in something called whole person education, where we develop the body, mind, and spirit. And we call that whole person education. And so we are in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on a wonderful campus. But we want to reach the world. And so what you're going to hear today we really believe that education can be transformed, transformed from not just saying we did it or digitize it, but that we can reach millions of people around the world because there's 7 billion people around the world, not just 330 million in the United States. Now, I know that your goals are educational and pedagogical and, and community, and you use technology to support those mission goals. How does technology fit in? How does technology help you support your learning and educational goals, for example? You know what? One of the keys I've done numerous times is to get rid of technology. And that may sound shocking to many people, but oftentimes on a college campus at a university, there's too much technology. And so I call it the merging of both the science of technology and the art of technology coming together. The science of technology, smartphones and Anything you can imagine is almost a commodity today, and anyone can buy it, anyone can service it, but not anyone can actually imagine what it can do when it's used effectively. So your use of technology, virtual reality, how does that fit into this picture? You know, virtual reality and augmented reality is phenomenal from this standpoint. It took the telephone 75 years to reach 50 million people. It took the television 38 years. It took the internet seven years, Facebook 3.5 years. But suddenly this year, when the internet in July hit its 10,000th day of invention, augmented reality known as Pokemon Go reached 30, or excuse me, 50 million people in 38 days. And so we're trying to reach millions of people, and we understand that the digitization, the smartphone device, 
engaging the learner is critical. So we decided to invest in the whole enterprise edition of augmented and virtual reality. We're not about playing with glasses and technologies and this brand or that brand. We're about how do we take something systemically and make it available to millions of people around the world from a smartphone. And you can see the virtual glasses we have here. And you can see on the screen our full immersion room that we'll be going to momentarily. So we bought the whole enterprise edition. And, Michael, what makes it exciting for us is this. Gamification has not benefited education very much at all. In fact, it hasn't made a dent. However, game game casinos have made a fortune off of it. And why is simply this. You cannot step in with a technology and ask faculty to change everything they do, the way they do it, how they teach, what they're good at. However, augmented and virtual reality, from a pedagogical perspective, allows faculty to do what they do well, teach, be experts in their field. And now virtual reality is beyond flipping the classroom. We call it flipping the university around the world and supplement what a faculty member wants to do versus replace. So uh, in order to have to present this virtual reality experience that we're going to see in a moment, tell us what was needed behind the scenes to get it all set up. You know, behind the scenes, uh, it doesn't take a genius. The technology, whatever you own, better work well. And I challenged our staff, hey, we're smart people. I'm not taking that away from anyone, but let's be good at what matters. And so we found some great partners out there who had almost the same vision as we did of reaching the world. Wireless companies, we decided, hey, let's not us be experts in wireless. Let's let a true wireless expert manage the campus because we're dead in the water if the campus doesn't function from a wireless perspective. In the first two years of a three-year initiative, it works flawlessly. And now we can take on these big initiatives and be broadcasting live from our facility, reaching people with virtual and augmented reality. So the infrastructure had to be flawless. And so we found the right partners to help make it flawless. So let's, uh, let's take a look at your virtual reality room. And okay. I'm going to put that on screen. And so what are we looking at right now? Yeah, what you're looking at, and I'll turn it over to our employee, Stephen Guzman, in a moment. You're looking at two different things in one big room. You're looking at an eye catcher screen where we can bring in 50 students and train them in multi-dimensional mixed reality. But then we also have a full immersion room where people can actually go in and walk inside combustion engines, go out on the ocean, walk on an offshore oil well, go on an archaeology discovery, fly over to France, whatever the case may be. We're talking about a half a million different learning environments that are backdrops to help the faculty member explain that which the textbook has always been trying to explain. So at that, I'm going to give you the live example by turning it over to Stephen Guzman. Go ahead and unmute yourself, Stephen, and let's go live. Hey, guys. Stephen Guzman here from Old Roberts University. We are inside of an iCube, and we're going to give you an example of what's going on here. So first of all, just follow me, if you will, turn your camera around. Okay. So, yeah, what are what is what is this, that headset with the white? bubbles yeah so what just bloom is wearing is a pair of glasses that have nodes on them that interact with infrared lasers from inside the cube there's lasers that actually beam down from all the four corners and as he moves his gaze the entire jet engine is actually going to move and that's what you're going to see in this example and and how does this work so 
what happens is the infrared lasers actually shine onto the nodes and the nodes react with smart technology and they say, okay, movement is meant to happen. So just blew me, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and step on inside of the cube and you're going to see it happen as he moves his gaze. So he's right. moving his head and the lasers in the room are pick, connecting, picking up the movement of his headset. That's correct, sir. Just let me go ahead and show him the lasers in the corners. So that's one infrared laser. And if he scans the camera, you'll see the other lasers that are in the corners. Just let me go ahead and take off the infrared glasses and move them around just so we get a feel for how they can move a model. So that's him moving the infrared glasses around. All right, go ahead and put them back on. And so we're able to do that with about 8,000 different learning objects that we have here on site. Mm -hmm. And so what's really special is when you step inside this cube, just feel me, I want you to come around the front of the jet engine slowly and we're actually gonna take a walk inside this jet engine. The idea is we wanna get people off of paper and doing 2D, and we want professors to actually step inside this cube with their students and say, okay, student A, point out the different abnormality in this jet engine. So let's go back to Jesse Palumi first. Jesse Palumi, go ahead and step on into the jet engine. So come around, keep going, keep going into it. So we can say, student A, go ahead and pause there, just for me. Student A, what's the abnormality in this pump manifold? And student A is able to identify that. And then student B, what's an abnormality in this pump tank manifold? And you get the idea. Students can get a larger concept of what's going on with these extreme technologies. And they're that much more valuable whenever they go and try to apply for jobs for companies like Boeing or American Airlines. They're that much more valuable. What are some of the um, the primary application areas, or maybe can you talk about different application areas and how they how this impacts the learning? Sure. So initially, we see electric engineering with the jet engine, but we're also able to do things with surgery. So you can pick apart an entire body, and that's the value for our pre med students and our nursing students. We also can take you to an offshore oil well, where or a derrick, where we're able to see how the structure was created and see how the drill goes down into the earth and how they're able to pull that oil up. If you think about architecture, we can go inside any building. Um, we actually built the Global Learning Center in 3D and we've taken a virtual walk through that as well. If I could, if I could add, Michael, what, what's important to know is that we'll put faculty in front of an engine like this or we'll put them in front of a neuron and they'll actually jump into their expertise within seconds. We're not asking them to change their curriculum or what they know. And that's what they love about it, to say, put something behind me and let me be the expert that I believe I am. And as you see right here, the same exact thing. So we have a professor who's a cancer research specialist, and he stepped in front of a neuron. And 60 seconds later, he's telling everybody exactly how the sheath of the nerves work and how cancer is caused and how they believe that there's a cure for it. And so we have six colleges, and every discipline is able to take parts and pieces of this and leverage it to further advance the cause of building whole person education at Oral Roberts. What's the, uh, the response from students? How do students react to this? <laughs> uh, I, you know, that's so fun. It's my funnest part of the job lately 
is to actually bring students and let them speak about it. And to the letter, to the T, they're saying somebody cares about our education now, that there's an investment not in plasma screens. Again, this is no offense to any company selling plasma or LCD uh, screens or analytics or something like that, because that's a waste of a lot of people's money and time, to be honest is that LCD panels only makes the presentation look better and sharper in focus. But when you can put learning objects in front of people that the faculty own and students can actually speak to it, it's a whole different world. So the students are loving it. And how has it, how, how has it uh, changed the learning outcomes? Have you correlated this yet to grades or test scores or job placement, things like that? You know, Michael, we, we haven't because we've only started this about three months ago, six months ago. However, we did all the research along with Eon Reality, who happened ironically to do a study right out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and found out that the time, it, the time that it decreases uh, or the time decrease in learning in a subject matter is 1,400% less. When you can actually take something that somebody needs to perform, it could be operating a power plant, it decreases it to that uh, percentage. Now we've been conservative and we're using the number 400% improvement. And it doesn't take a genius to realize it's very doable and very possible when we watch now our faculty and students just jump into it and leverage it. And how about the learning curve for faculty to make use of this technology in the most effective way? You know, the learning curve uh, is Pokemon Go did us a huge favor, let's face it. When you can see that many millions of people leveraging Pokemon Go and we happen to come out with virtual reality glasses that look like this for smartphones and have 8,000 learning objects on them, is the learning curve is about three minutes. And that's incredible. Now, when we talk about changing the way, you know, pedagogically, how do you start the introduction week of a class all the way through 13 weeks and you're testing students, that's going to take a little bit of time. But the optimism here on campus is tremendous and wonderful. In fact, we have 10 brand new classrooms focused around reaching the world, including virtual and augmented reality, and the classes are filling up as we speak. So you are, you are broadcasting these classes then around the world? Absolutely. You know, it, when you think about education, only 6% of the world has a post-secondary degree. And there's 4,000 universities and colleges in America, and there's 7 billion people. If you divide the numbers of people being trained or educated – each university across America only has 5,000 students. That's embarrassing. That's unacceptable. But when you can start broadcasting pieces of intelligence around the world on a card through a computer, you've, you're changing the world. You know, and it's time that we stop talking about analytics. Analytics, imagine me talking to a parent and saying, here's a handful of analytics. Hopefully your son or daughter has a blast here. Rather, we're able to say, here's a Fitbit enjoy the ride. It has intelligence that integrates with the student information system. Here's a pair of glasses that allows you access to intelligence. We're all about intelligence because we're training intelligent people to be intelligent around the world. Analytics is old news, and hopefully every vendor out there starts realizing and stops boring CIOs to tears with that conversation. So you've got a set of metrics that that you calculate very carefully related to digital transformation. Can you talk about talk about that? What are the, the types of metrics that you're looking at? Absolutely. So we came up with a digital transformation index three years ago. And part of the first part of that index was, are we considered world-class? And we knew the answer was no at that particular time. And what would give us world-class uh, label or recognition 
really was applying for awards around the country from a digitization standpoint. In other words, can every student have an online concierge service from their smartphone? And the answer today is yes. In fact, you'll see a publication come out on January 18th in eCampus, and it's going to talk about that. Let's not call something help desk because that sounds like it's broken. Let's call it concierge service. How do we meet the needs of a digital world? Even my role as a CIO, or now uh, Associate Vice President of Technology and Innovation, isn't to try and impress people or change education. It's really to help people who are in a digital world not only survive, but to thrive. And that, we believe, will help change the paradigm of reaching the world with whole person education. Now, we have a question from Twitter from Alan Berkson, who asks, what expectations do you have for how educators will change their curricula based on this technology? You know, uh, great question, Alan. Great question. But I'd say zero. We have no expectation whatsoever. And that was the breaking point. That's the threshold you want to reach because of this. The worst thing I can do is expect a faculty member to even push one button. As soon as I expect them to push a button on teleconference or telepresence, it shuts down the show. And so we've literally automated the classrooms where somebody walks in a dark room, all the equipment senses somebody just stepped in, and it fires up all the equipment automatically. And all they have to do is have an IT person present to enter a nine-digit code to reach the world on their behalf. And it archives the content and puts it into the learning management system, which is D2L in our case. And so same thing with virtual reality. We don't want them to change anything. That expectation is why gamification has never worked nor will work. But augmented virtual reality will literally change the way they can enhance that which they already do very well. So it's such a natural extension of what they already are doing that people just they nat- they just naturally immediately get it. They grasp it. Absolutely. I mean, when we have faculty members already uh, watching NBA games or NFL games with virtual reality or reading the New York Times with virtual reality, it's a foregone conclusion. This is part of our society. And if we put the things in place to allow faculty to benefit and don't expect them to change anything, we're home free. But on top of that, icing on the cake is students begging for it and saying, this is part of our world now. So imagine being a student, you're a senior in college or at a university, and you're going to get a job, and you can stand in front of this engine and explain what it means, and you're applying for a job at uh, uh, an airline or aircraft company. Your resume is going to look slightly better than everyone else's. But, you know, to what extent are you, you say students are loving this, and it's, I mean, it's fascinating. I can see why. But to what extent is it just because it's kind of the cool Pokemon toy? In other words, does the blush kind of leave the rose uh, or is it is there a sustained benefit? Good question, Michael. You know, there, it's not just a novelty, really, when you think about it. What, what it's doing is engaging a learner. You know, I wish I could have said 15 years ago that we'll never use smartphones in a classroom for studying or grades or accessing uh, health information, but it's a foregone conclusion we do it. And I believe the same thing, that whether it's called mixed reality in the future, augmented or virtual is not the point. The point is that our society is changing and technology, Moore's Law far exceeded years ago already, is changing the way that we can enhance our life. We can enact or speed up the connection points around the world to educate everyone. And when we do that, 
suddenly we hit a tipping point. Three years ago, when I stepped on the campus of Oral Roberts University, the goal that got me here was really to come up with new paradigms to reach millions of people around the world. I fell in love with that. And true to their form, Oral Roberts University has had the funding behind that. They've had the support behind that. And here we are reaching millions of people instantaneously now. Now, the only thing holding them back is paying their tuition. And I believe one day that may change as well uh, across the world. Okay, let's go, let's go back to Stephen and Jesu Palumi, who are standing by. And by the way, I have to, uh, I want to say a thank you to Mark Orlin and to Zachary Jeans on Twitter, because I tweeted out, can somebody take a screen capture of this? Because it does, it looks so cool. And they both did. So uh, thank you very much. Let me, let me add, it's much more than cooler. You've got to come on campus here and you will be more than impressed. Uh, I, I believe it. Okay, so, so take us inside that jet engine. Tell us what are, just take us into this thing that we've all seen the outside of on planes and all right take us take us take us inside and just let me come over to the front bring the jet engine to the very front of, just take a I love I love that phrase you know can you bring the jet engine over here please <laughs> <laughs> and take a few steps to your right and then let's go in through the very front all right Go ahead and ease us on in. And I just want to—I just want to uh, tell everybody who's watching that what you're seeing here on the screen at the moment, on the right-hand right side, is a a kind of stop action on one screen of the outside of the jet engine, and then on the left, Jesu Palumi is walking us through the the inside, and you can see he's got the his iPad controller and. See, I guess I'm picking it up pretty quickly. It looks pretty easy because now I'm doing your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so if Justice Palumi is is playing professor right now, this is where we get into the education spot. That's so special, and it's it's really what makes us next level with virtual reality. Is no longer do do students have to try to conceptualize things they've never seen and only read about, but we can bring them there in virtual reality. And when we're talking about jet engines, something so complicated, the professor can point things out that they couldn't necessarily point out on paper because it just wouldn't make sense. And we've actually had a student worker, an engineering student, come up here and test pilot this jet engine. He said, you know, the last three years in engineering have been fantastic, but being here inside of a jet engine brought, brought it all together. And it, it just put a nice capstone on what he's been learning. So it's really special to get inside those jet engines. Again, you know, just the, the think, just think about the terminology, Mike. Uh, you know, it's really cool to get inside those jet engines. I mean, yeah. five years, ten years ago, five years ago, that terminology would be, it wouldn't exist. Un unheard of. But now imagine this. When you have a learning object, you're buying it from some company and you're putting it into your learning management system. Now a faculty member can step in front of any backdrop like an engine, archaeology find, and create their own learning objects. Three minutes later, they have their own video, and now they send this out to the students ahead of time if they choose to. So these, uh, these learning objects, or, or maybe tell us, tell us the story of how you get these 3D models that you can walk through and how you adapt them? How does a professor adapt them for use in your environment? Absolutely. So what we decided to do was to make, again, enterprise-wide, let's purchase enough of these right from the get-go so no one's saying, because this is famous talk, 
hey, this, I can see how this works for an engineering school or nursing school, but not for a math class or whatever the case may be. So we purchased 8,000 of them through Eon Reality, and they're all on a smartphone. There's a whole library of them now, so they can actually experiment with them on a smartphone first and then start playing with it, voice over the learning object, save it to the learning management system, but then it also plays into the cube or onto the eye catcher screen as well. So the platform across every device that we own, we have 8,000 now, we're already seeing faculty step up to the plate and create their own. We now own the software, so you have to think of it this way. Devices will come and go, iPads, tablets, whatever the case may be, but an operating system sticks around. So the Microsoft operating system has been around for 30 years. So we purchased the whole operating system or platform for virtual and augmented reality creation. We can do anything we want now, and faculty put their signature on it. Every time somebody clicks on their learning object from this day forward, they get credit for it. That's pretty powerful. We have another question from Twitter from Mark Orlin, who's asking, is there an application for this type of virtual virtual reality technology in business-related courses? Absolutely. You know, we've had numerous challenges just like that. And I say, give us a day and we'll walk you over here. We'll walk you into an Excel spreadsheet and it comes up on the screen. We're walking them to Excel spreadsheet. And then we say, somebody says, Hey, what about a PC? Could you walk us into a PC? Yep. Come on over, walking them and show them where the power supply is located. Somebody else comes and said, could we teach somebody in an international business class how to eat properly when they go to South America? I said, yes, come on in. We'll show you that as well. And so we've not been challenged on any type of environment because, again, virtual reality is creating a new environment to walk into. And, you know, it's an amazing day to watch creativity and innovation come, come alive. What are, some of the, uh, what are some of the challenges associated with this? I'm, you know, it's, when we do a demo, it all comes together in the smoothest way. But I know behind the scenes, nothing comes together in the smoothest way. So what's, what are some of the challenges that, that are involved for a school to, to set this up? You know, the challenges really are this, have support from the executives. And, and I'm telling you that when you invest a good amount of money in something like this, you need that support. But more importantly, you have to have the reputation. So the challenge really is build the reputation by picking the right partners that work with you, the right software. So we picked a company that already brought together education, entertainment, and uh, industry with augmented and virtual reality for 20 years. We weren't about to go out and buy a pair of Oculus glasses, no offense, Oculus or Vive, and think that that's going to change anything. The technologies will come and go, but we wanted to own something so you could see exactly what you're seeing now live. And this isn't rehearsed or anything. This is live. We're showing you learning objects. But now imagine being those students that come in there. So the challenge was really credibility. So over the last three months, we've had faculty come over, students come over, and they're becoming believers. But if we said, hey, we want you to change your curriculum, and we want you to change week two so that you impart this or import this and, uh, into your curriculum, it would have failed. Uh, so the challenges are uh, you know them all as well as I do. But if you build credibility and you invest wisely and you can deliver the goods, people become believers. So there was a, a essentially a change management and buy-in issue that you had to gain uh, gain the buy-in. Well, well, gain the buy-in from whom? Who are who are your stakeholders in this kind of you situation? Know, our, our stakeholders are the board of trustees, our president, and they're visionary people. But remember, before I came three years ago, they already laid the groundwork by having a globalization case statement that had imperative number six, which says this, using new paradigms and technology, 
reached millions of people with whole person education. I love that. Now it's teed up. They support it. They have the vision, but now they expected me to come up with the kind of technologies that would truly reach the world. And I'll be, I'll be honest, we had the board of trustees come in here and look at the facility recently. And two of them were in tears. Literally, it's the first time as a technologist I've seen leaders like that in tears because they saw it, they could touch it. And this is a different day, a fabulous day to be doing this kind of stuff. But I will say one funny thing that happened because when people are ready to sign a contract, that's when they get, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. And that's true. And so I said, hey, Six Flags down in Dallas just gave out uh, virtual reality glasses. And now you, when you go on the roller coaster, that's the experience. And it works to a certain degree. I said, why don't we put a roller coaster in our parking lot? and let people experience virtual reality. And they got the picture to say, okay, that doesn't make any sense. The insurance policy will be high. I said, you know, let's do it right. And again, the support was there. I appreciate our president, Dr. Billy Wilson, so much for casting the vision to reach the world. And I want to remind everybody that you're watching CXO Talk, and we're speaking with Mike Matthews, who is the chief information officer of Oral Roberts University. And he's describing ORU's foray into virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. And what you're seeing on the screen right now, aside from Mike and me, are uh, is a live image of their virtual reality. What do you call it? Virtual reality cube? Yeah, the, the screen on the right is the eye catcher. It's got a 3D projector that catches 50 people can be standing there watching that. But the iCube has five people that can be immersed right into that. And it's called the iCube. And uh, once again, if uh, we can take a look at at those uh, glasses that uh, Jesu Palumi is wearing. And Michael, I should note too, Jesu Palumi is a student from Nigeria. And he's picked up this like you wouldn't believe, like most students are. And uh, Stephen Guzman, who's there as well as a student uh, graduate from two years ago. So these aren't people that have been in the business for 20 years. They're, they're fresh, but this stuff is exciting for them, and it, they pick it up really easy. And I would imagine that from the point of view of, uh, of getting a job when they graduate, having these kind of skills puts them way out in front of, of others, I would think. Absolutely. I'll have Stephen talk to that a little bit. Stephen, please, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I'm in, insanely fortunate to have been able to work at Old Roberts University right after I graduated in 2014. Um, but you know, if you look at online at the different you know job opportunities that are out there for virtual reality, they're all out in California with Google, Facebook. Um, you know, a lot of the big hitters, uh, Nvidia. Um, so an amazing opportunity to be a part of what Old Roberts University is doing, and really having the opportunity to change a generation is what I'm fired up about. You know, just how everything that we do, um, you know, from three months ago, a year ago and on is going to change the next generation of Oral Roberts University students is really what I get excited about. And now, what kind of glasses are you wearing? You're not wearing the uh, glasses that look like they came out of a a science fiction movie from the 60s. You're wearing something else. (laughs) So my glasses, they don't have the, the fancy nodes on them. They actually are for the other viewers to step inside of the cube. So when I step inside the cube, my my glasses aren't going to change the perspective, but I'm still going to be able to v- to view the virtual reality. Because that's where you get four or five people that can go in alongside the professor. So if I come inside here with Jesse Palumi, come on inside, his perspective is still going to change the, the environment, but my glasses are just going to allow me to see it. 
So and you don't I, have to be inside the cube to view it. You can stand outside. So we can have you know, 10, 15 more people outside the cube viewing the virtual reality. I see. So he's controlling the virtual reality view with his glasses. And, you're, and these are 3D glasses, I'm assuming. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, these are your typical Ray-Bans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, when you think about this, to what extent is, is your participation because it's fun or, or because you'll, you think you'll learn more or because you'll get a better job? How do you, how do you evaluate it in your mind? So the way, I see it, it's, the way I see it in my head is it's a few things. So one, impacting a generation – uh, but it's also fun. It's also really fun to do. You know, I get asked the question all the time. Do you do you work at all? You know, but there's the common slang. Well, if you have fun at your job, you never work a day in your life. You know, and I have a great time working with Mike. Mike is amazing. He's an amazing leader, amazing mind, brilliant. And we're also fortunate to have him here. Um, but it's it's really it's passion that drives us. And it's a group effort. It's not just me in in the VR room day in, day out. It's Mike. Mike's here um, and it's our entire IT team. And Mike, to what extent is this an IT-driven project versus uh, a, a more educational or institutional-led project? You know, this is a campus-wide-led initiative. You know, in fact, one of the greatest compliments I get from presidents is, you know, Mike, it's interesting. You don't even like technology. And I like that because it's not about technology. It's really about how do you align, not from a strategic point, but just align good business sense with mission. And so we're able to now fulfill mission by just doing simple things that other people can do. And, and that's one of my passions really is to say, wait a minute, it's impossible to be able to track Fitbit data and do all this stuff in life, athletics and so forth, but we can't do it in education. So simplification equals multiplication. If we can simplify things and make it campus-wide, we multiply things. And how do you align the business goals with the mission, the business uh, demands and requirements? You have to stay in business. You, re you, know, you require income and so forth. How do you align that with the mission? Absolutely. Good question. And, and we really do it by being simply aligned over and over again, repetitively, iteratively. So when you think of a president who would have a strategic plan, most presidents would say, you know what, I'm tired of a strategic plan. You know, because it changes, it sits on a shelf. So our president and the board of trustees have a proof adaptive plan. Uh, university adaptive plan means it's flexible, it's nimble. We're living a nimble world that's ever changing. And how do we change with that? And so as the IT leader, I have to be nimble enough to be, and wise enough to say, hey, I'm not going to do something that doesn't make sense. And let's be adaptive. And so I could encourage everyone out there, help people in a digital world, not only or survive, but thrive. And when you can help the leaders on campus, you can help your students, you're changing the world. You're impacting it in a way you never thought possible. We have uh, another question from Twitter from Zachary Jeans. And his question is similar to the one that we received earlier, which is he's asking, what about applications in areas such as storytelling and marketing? Absolutely. We, again, great challenge is we have that. In fact, somebody challenged and said, hey, is there an application for public speaking? Can you teach somebody how to public speak? In fact, one of our faculty members, Denise Miller, has 325 students wearing VR glasses and actually practice uh, speaking. It's one of the most fearful things that people have to undertake. And marketing is a phenomenal one because you want to talk about helping people understand marketing, take them to a couple places that failed in real life. 
We now have Google Earth and virtual reality connected together. We can take people right inside. I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, so I'll say Lambeau Field, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and say, what would you do if you're a marketing person and you wanted to market this better? We can take them to McDonald's. We can mock up almost anything in this real life and let people start experimenting without doing the travel. In fact, our athletes, uh, we've got a professor, Dr. Terry Shannon, using the same connectivity, same virtual reality, to use it for athletes who aren't on campus or off at a basketball game or a soccer game. I would imagine, maybe this is an obvious point, but I would imagine that uh, modeling physical locations, uh, objects, architecture, is far more easier than somehow modeling concepts. Like when Zachary Jeans asked about storytelling, can you can you model abstractions like that in some way? I, I believe so. In fact, if we brought up an image, we could show you the music playing along with the image. So when you go underneath water, you can hear Jaws start playing from the movie Jaws. But we could have changed the music. We could have played something different. Multi-sensory, but talk about storytelling. How do you create a story? Well, there's a place involved. There's maybe some sensory behind it but you're starting to create it. And so we get, we have it now where we can take you out to the, the, to the planets and actually create the right story behind how the planets were created. We can tell the story about how fast the planets revolve around the sun. We can create stories and modify on the fly. Why? Because we own the software, the platform to do that. Put it before us and we'll find out if we can create it. In fact, Stephen Guzman said he's two years out of college or the university here. And it took them all about four hours to create a whole story for our donors about what our new dorms will look like. Never done before in less than, I, I say it's eight hours. He says it's only three hours. So somewhere in between there. And what are the, the technical skills needed to create this type of environment? You know, I, uh, boy, it's a, it's a tough one to answer. I'll say this is that 35 years ago, the genius of the day was somebody who knew enough to take Xerox files and be able to port them onto different operating systems and devices. Today, the genius is the person who can take almost any object, infrared scans, videos, pictures, and start recreating uh, a story and movement in virtual reality. And so we seen, have seen so far little programming skills are required, a lot of imagination, a little bit of script writing. But the good news is, we own the platform that has a document this thick to say, here's how you start moving things around. And we now have it where we can actually reach into a body in front of a, a mirrored uh, virtual reality screen and pull out my heart, pull out my brain and turn it around. It's pretty phenomenal. And that's all created probably within days. And we will actually be having a school here starting January 23rd to allow people to learn how to program uh, both augmented and virtual reality. Pokemon Go, hey, I get it. I, I know why so many people use it, but it's pretty useless to me because it's a bear in the air. You know, it's placing something, geofencing. But what if we could put all learning objects on a card or in space and start leveraging it that way? So, uh, so the goal is for subject matter experts to be able to create these realities rather than, than a dedicated programmer or technic technologist. Well, correct. But think of a subject matter expert. People become a professor because they believe they're a subject matter expert. And there are professors, I, I understand, who maybe regurgitate other people's information, but there's a lot of professors who actually create their own content. And those are subject matter experts. So we already have a professor, one of the deans or the department chair, sitting on the computer creating their own experience 
and they're creating something so their students can do uh, clay modeling in virtual reality. We have about five minutes left, and I'd really like to go back to the digital transformation metrics that you use, because I think that one of the challenges of digital transformation in any environment is how do you measure the outcome? And uh, can you talk uh, about some of these metrics? It's certainly come a long way from traditional IT metrics of, you know, latency or system uptime. And in fact, your metrics have to do with the exact intersection of the technology adoption and uh, achieving the business goals. Absolutely. And so we, we did a baseline. Again, no measurement matters at all if you have no baseline. And your baseline may even not be accurate at first, but the fact is over time you can find out and tweak it to make sure it is accurate. And so we took a look at I'll give you an example. If I have a miracle happen in my life, I, I tease people. They say, Mike, do you believe in miracles? I said, I don't really believe in them. I rely on them. In order for my career to go places, i got to rely on miracles. And if a miracle happens in my lifetime where I get to see something put on a smartphone, was I prepared digitally to take advantage of it? And so we have did that on numerous, in numerous cases to say, if there just so happens to be something from an academic perspective equivalent to Pokemon Go, are, is our infrastructure and our capability to leverage it ready to go? And the answer is yes. And, and so... 100% of everything Oral Roberts University owns from an uh, electronic standpoint is all accessible and integrated on the smartphone. That's transformation. Three years ago, that was not the case. Three years ago, we weren't even working with good partners. Three years ago, we didn't have the infrastructure. But suddenly that index starts putting carrots in front of people in a, a, a place to start striving to become. And again, this isn't to brag, but it is to say We've been fortunate and we've won global and national awards for our IT uh, invention and innovation. In fact, we've just trademarked the name Geonetics, which is to say, if technology is so powerful that it can implode a country like Egypt, Tunisia, and Libya, because young people are waking up with it and saying, we don't have to live like this anymore, that's pretty powerful. Are we ready? And can we actually take everything and leverage it in the same way and use that power to, for the betterment of humanity? But who understands that if technology companies only interest is to keep selling more product, we're all in trouble. But if our job as leaders and innovators to say, wait a minute, let's not just worry about selling more technology. Let's actually implement less, but do it wisely. And that's exactly what Geonetics is about. What can people learn and take advantage of, not just so they can own a smartphone or another big plasma screen, wisely investing and aligning for the betterment of humanity. And in the last couple of minutes that we have left, can you talk about adoption? How do you think about adoption? How important is adoption? Uh, how do you encourage adoption? How do you measure it? You know, ad adoption, uh, you know, I, I'm fortunate. I've been through helping a university four cycles of my lifetime already. And by the fourth time, I've learned a couple of valuable lessons. One, don't mess with faculty. Uh, encourage them, leverage them. Let them do what they do well and support what they do. And so that's not even a, a showstopper for us, okay? So they adopt because they know my interest is their interest. If I can help faculty save 700 hours every semester by taking data, educational data, off of Fitbit Watch and putting it into our grade book, I'm a hero, and that's what we've done. Now, I'm a hero not because I'm smart. It's because I'm listening to them. Help us be more efficient. 
Don't just make you look, yourself look good. Don't just brag about technology. Hey, if you win a couple awards along the way, that's great. And so adoption happens by winning awards, that's for sure. But when you can be advertised in over 500 newspapers and magazines in one year because of innovation, you've just adopted everyone. Because now they become believers and saying, wait a minute, we thought that was just a vision. We thought that was just part of the strategic or adaptive plan, but it's become reality now. And so after a three-year period, let's say we've been successful with the help of our partners to uh, be successful on five major initiatives that have changed the way people view things. Now, three years later, that index keeps growing, the digital transformation index in the right direction, but it also makes believers where they want to be a part. Get more people on your boat, and you've got a better boat. Okay. We have been talking with Mike Matthews, who is the Chief Information Officer of Oral Roberts University. What a fabulously interesting show this has been. But we have to ask, uh, we have to say thank you to Stephen and uh, Jesu Palumi. So, uh, guys, why don't you come over and just, uh, we just want to say thank you. See, Jesse Palumi is there in the background. Jesse Palumi, come over. I think he wants you to come over here. <laughs> and uh, what an image of these two guys with their glasses. Thank you so much. It's been, we really appreciate uh, your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank and, you, sir. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. And uh, Mike Matthews, thank you. We really appreciate it. Everybody? This has been episode number two, 210. Next week, we have two shows. So check out cxotalk.com slash episodes, and you can see the schedule. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next time.